Well, as Jess just said, we are really excited for those of you that are graduating and moving into a new season of life. And some of you, I'm sure, know what that season looks like, and some of you are still figuring all of that out. And it uh, it takes me back to when I graduated from high school, uh, which was 1999, which I believe in the comments today, yeah, you can age me, you can date me now. Um, and uh, they, yeah, they can't date me because I'm married. I, I get it now. Uh, what I mean is you can figure out how old I am. Uh, yeah, getting there. So, um, but 99, I think in the comments we were talking about music from 99. Um, but it, and even that made me flash back. And I remember when I was coming out of, out of high school and trying to decide what, the rest of my life was going to look like because up until then it was just high school and you knew it was high school. And then from high school, though, everybody went their different directions, whether they went to college or they uh, took some time off or they went and traveled or they went uh, to work or whatever it was that they were doing. And all I remember is I actually remember when our church did graduation Sunday and they had us all stand up and and there was a bunch of us in our church that were that were all in the class there together and that had gone through um through youth group and all of that stuff together. And uh, I remember that. And I remember people coming up to me afterwards and saying this phrase. And actually, as we're doing our series, Truish, where we're looking at phrases, things Christians say, and trying to figure out, are they true, are they false, or are they truish? And they could be any one of those three things throughout the series. But I remember people coming up to me and saying, hey, John, God has a plan for your life. God has a, and and graduates, listen, God has a plan for your life. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, awesome. I wish I knew what it was. (laughs) You know, at at that point, I I knew what was the next step, which for me was going to to college. Uh, I went to Grove City College, which is north of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But, um, I knew that's what was next for me, but I didn't know. He said, "What God has a plan for your life. And I found that actually a little bit paralyzing because I thought, if God has a plan for my life, what if I miss it? <laughs> if God has laid a path out in front of me, what if I take a different path? What happens then? I mean, what if, what if you know, I'm going to college, but I was like, what if I chose the wrong one? I was trying to decide between, there were, there were four colleges that I, that I was thinking of going to. I was thinking of going to, well, Grove City, of course, where I got accepted and, 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 and ended up going. I, I was considering a Redeemer College in Canada. Yes, <laughs> Canada has been a part of my world. All right, I thought about going to Canada. I also thought about going to Cedarville University. That's where my brother-in-law went and I got accepted there as well. I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about Florida State. Why? I was thinking about Florida State because I had recently read an article that said that Florida State had the most attractive female students. <laughs> it, was the, it was the only reason. The only reason. Anyway, I didn't. I that may have been the wrong path. Okay, but but I, that's not the way that I went. But I'm like, what if I choose the wrong school? Some of you may be really worried about this. Or what if I'm supposed to go to college, but I don't want to go to college, or I don't think I need to go to college? Or, or what, if, what if I decide to take some time off, and that's a mistake? Or what if I decide to travel, and that's a mistake? Or what if I jump right into the workforce, and, and what if I pick the wrong job, or the wrong career, and I get started on the wrong path? Or, 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 or you know, maybe I'm going what, to, what if, what if I move to the wrong place, or, 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 you know, what if I choose the wrong side of my mom's basement to live in or whatever it may be? Was that not? 
shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But, but so you take that, you take those like big decisions and you say, well, what if I miss on those things and I get off of God's path? But if you take that mentality, then you have to take it down to even the very smallest decisions too. Right? What if, I wore, what if I wore a gray shirt today instead of a blue shirt? There's apparently a lot of conversation about my shirt in the comments. Which, listen, you all paying a lot more attention to what I'm wearing than I am. I just stumble into my closet on Sunday morning and look for something that's clean. So, or on my floor. But anyway, that's why I choose what I'm going to wear. That's, anyway, but what, if, what if I choose the wrong shirt today? What if I bought the wrong car? What if, I, what if I was supposed to buy a Prius, but instead I bought a Toyota Tundra? You know, will that take me off of God's plan? Colgate, Crest, or Sensodyne? What's the right choice Colgate. for toothpaste? What if, see, for me, it's Sensodyne. So, but what if I choose the wrong toothpaste? Doesn't every decision then determine whether you're on that path or not? You say, well, it can't be like that because if, if that's the case, if God has a, a linear path that's laid out for my entire life that I have to take where I'm going to be outside of his will, well, then I, I miss it a long time ago. And I have a feeling that you did too. So when we look at this phrase, though, God has a plan for my life, is that true? The answer is yes, absolutely he does. But it may not work the way that we think it works. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about God's plan for us, particularly for those of you that find yourself at a crossroads. It it might be that you're graduating and you're trying to figure out what's next, or you know what's next and you're trying to figure out what's after that. Some of you are going through this whole thing with the pandemic and you've lost jobs or you're laid off and you're trying to figure out what do I do next and how do I make the right decision and, and is it the right decision or is it not? So what I want to do is we're going to talk about today how to identify and follow God's plan for your life. Now, when we talk about this idea, God has a plan for you, there's a verse of scripture that jumps out to my mind that is very famous, very well known, and used a lot. In fact, it's, it's put on a lot of little like, pieces of art or uh, vinyl stickers that you might put on your wall at your house. And uh, it's a beautiful verse, and I want to read it for you. And then I want to talk about what it really means so that we can get all that there is to get out of this, this concept. And that verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is a verse that gets a lot of flack for being misinterpreted or misrepresented, but it is a beautiful verse and there is a lot to be learned from it. So that's what we're going to do today. Let me read it to you. This is from the New International Version because I think it's the most well-known version of this, of this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Man, that's really that's a really great verse and it is very encouraging. <laughs> but if we don't understand what's going on around that verse, we could easily misapply it and set ourselves up for disappointment. For example, if I read that verse, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. If I think that when now Jeremiah writes this down on God's behalf, he's a prophet speaking for God. When he's when he writes this, if I think that you is talking about me, I'm going to misunderstand this verse because you in Jeremiah 29, 11 is not talking about you on the other side of the computer screen or the phone or the tablet. It's, and it's not talking about me. You in this verse is talking about the nation of Israel. It happens in a very specific context. Now there's something really great that we can learn from this, but if we think that when God says, for I know the plans I have for you, John, declares the Lord, plans to prosper John and not to harm John, plans to give John a hope and a future, 
well, I could easily, I could get confused about what God's plan is for me. I might, I might easily think that God's plan is for me to be happy or that God's plan for me is to be rich <laughs> or that God's plan for me is to be powerful or that God's plan for me is to be comfortable or that God's plan for me is to be a professional YouTuber. You know, some people, that's the thing, like that's the deal. So, but God is not speaking to me specifically in this verse. He's speaking through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. So what I want to do is we're going we're gonna to zoom out, as we've discussed doing in the series, we're going to zoom out and we're going to look at the context of this verse. And I think what we're going to see is actually something much deeper and much better and much more helpful than what you might see on the surface if you just read verse 11. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. So this is Jeremiah 29, and we'll start with verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, let's understand where we're dropping into here. The nation of Israel, which once used to be one nation, had split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was overtaken by the Assyrians, and then they ended up like intermarrying with them and converging with them. They become the Samaritans. The southern kingdom, which is uh, uh, the southern kingdom, is... Eventually, they outlast the northern kingdom, but eventually the southern kingdom is overtaken by the Babylonians. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonians. So they overtake them and they take almost all of the Israelites, the vast majority of them, out to Babylon. They're captives in Babylon. And it's there in Babylon that there's a lot of pressure that's put on them to become like the Babylonians. That's where we read the stories of, for example, Daniel in the lion's den is when that happens. Daniel is in Babylon and he's supposed to pray only to the king, but he doesn't, so he gets thrown in the, in the lion's den. That's where uh, the stories of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the same people, uh, where they are supposed to bow down to this to this uh, this altar. They're supposed to bow down to this foreign god and they won't do it, so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. This, is, this all happens when Israel has been taken captive and they find themselves in Babylon. So when Jeremiah writes this, he is writing a letter to the people who are captive in Babylon. That's very important that we understand what's going on. It's a letter that's written to them. All right, so now we're just going to skip verses 2 and 3 only because they give a bunch of names that I don't feel like pronouncing, but you can, you can read verses 2 and 3. It's just about who the letter's uh, going to and on the behalf of. All right? Then verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the letter now, okay, Jeremiah giving the people the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now before we go any further, did, there's, something, uh, there's something pretty interesting at the very beginning of that letter, whom I have caused God is saying, I caused you to be taken into captivity. Now, 
Right now, the idea that God's plan for us or his will or desire for us only includes comfortable and happy and what we might consider positive things has just been blown away. Because if God would cause them to be carried into captivity, then he certainly allowed them to endure a lot of hardship. And if that's true for them, certainly the same thing would be true for us. And so he's writing to these who he's caused to be in this situation. And you will see, you'll notice, I won't, I won't probably talk about it much more, but you may notice as we read down through, he's going to say that a few more times as we go down through, just in case there was any question about it. All right, now, you're in captivity. He's writing to people who are in captivity. What do you do in that captivity, in that bad situation? Here we go, verse 5. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may increase there and not diminish. So he's saying, hey, you're in captivity and so you need to continue to support and grow the nation even though you find yourself in this evil place. Now, why would they do that? It's because God had made a promise to them. He'd made a covenant with Abraham. And part of that covenant with Abraham was that Abraham would have offspring, that they would be more than the stars in the sky. And so to continue following in this covenant promise that God had given to them, they needed to continue to increase in number. And so he tells you, he says, hey, you're there, so settle in, but continue growing and doing the things that you're supposed to do. Then he says in verse 7, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So he's telling them to pray for Babylon. Even in this terrible situation, pray that Babylon would have peace, because as Babylon has peace, they have peace. This is a big concept. This is what they're supposed to do while they're in the middle of this difficulty. Then verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you, have, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So he says, okay, while you're there, you also need to make sure that you remain spiritually pure and focused, that you're not being confused or distracted, that you're not having your your mind and your mindset altered by the society that you're living in right now. You need to focus in on what you know is true in the scriptures and not be distracted or confused by what else is going on. They need to say spiritually strong. And then we get the stories, of course, of Daniel. And we get the stories of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing exactly those kinds of pressures. So he said, that's what I need you to do. That's what I want you to do while you're in this captivity. Then he says, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. This place is Jerusalem. To come back. So God says, don't worry, I'm going to bring you back. In 70 years! (laughs) Okay? He, he, he is going to, his promise was to give them the land that he had promised to them. He was going to give them Jerusalem back and continue fulfilling that covenant, but it was going to take 70 years. 
It's amazing how many times we find ourselves in difficult situations and we're like, God, we, I know the plans you have for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me a hope in my, and a future, so change my situation now. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying to them. And it's, it's unfortunately, I wish it were what he was saying to us. I really do. But not what he's saying to us either. He says, after 70 years, I'll perform my good word and you'll return to Jerusalem. Verse 11, this is the one we know, right? And this is New King James Version now. But For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, at that time, you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. God's saying, listen, I know it's hard right now. Here's what I want you to do right now so that you're preparing and you're ready for when this next step happens. And when that time comes, I already know what you're going to do. It's going to be their choice to turn to him and to remain faithful and to stay focused. But he already knows the choice that they're going to make. That's the crazy thing about God and his plan is that even though, and we'll talk more about this, but even though he has given us free will, he knows the choices we're going to make. So he's constantly working with them. And so he says, I know what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. So so take heart because I know the good that's coming for you and the deliverance that's coming for you. Now, knowing all of that, when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That adds a whole lot more depth and context to that verse, doesn't it? It really deepens it. And I think it's really encouraging for us because it reminds us that even when we find ourselves in difficult situations, God is still with us and he has things that he wants us to do and how he wants us to grow and learn in those situations. And that there is good thing, there are good things coming, and we'll talk about what that means again. I keep saying that we're going to talk about it. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. Well, we'll let's just talk about it. Yeah, I'm really setting you up. Um, uh, but then, when those times come, you're going to be ready for them, for those transitions and for those seasons. God was going to bring them out, but He had something He had to teach them while they were there. It's really important. And the only reason He was obligated to bring them out of that situation was because of the covenant promise He had made to them. And even so, and, and, and we shouldn't be mistaken. Yes, eventually, they do go back to Jerusalem. You can read about that in like the book of Nehemiah. And yeah, you, can, you can see all of them coming back and building the walls and building the temple and all that kind of stuff. All right, they do get to come back. But listen, even when they came back to Jerusalem, it was no walk in the park. <laughs> it was not like, it was not the happy ending. They didn't come back and everything was just like it was before and everything was great and they were safe and they were comfortable and they were, no, 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 no. They just entered into a new season of a different kind of difficulty existing in their life. Because the thing is, we live in a world that is full of sin and so difficulty follows us wherever we go. We always think that, that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and if I can just get to this milepost in my life, then everything's going to be great. And it never, ever, 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 ever works like that. So we shouldn't have false hope like that. Now God made a promise to the nation of Israel that he was going to give them land and give them descendants and that through them all nations would be blessed. Uh, yet 
that promise to Abraham, to the nation of Israel, is not necessarily the promise that's been given to us. The promise is given to us that we can take to the bank, like the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which they could take to the bank. The promises that are given to us are, are different. And so we need to make sure that our hope is in the right place and that our, our thinking about our future is correct in order to have the right kind of hope and know how to live even now. So does God have a plan for our lives? Yes, he does. And I want to talk about what that plan looks like for us today, since we can see how it was for them then. And two elements of this, that if you, some of you are note takers, I know, if you want to jot down notes, feel free to do that. The first thing is that God has a common plan for our lives. What I mean by that is that God has a plan for you that's the same as his plan for me. It's the same for all of us. And really, when I say God's plan in this case, it's complicated. But it's God's desire for us. Okay, It's his will for us, his desire for us, his plan for us. Don't think of it as a linear path that's already drawn out like, like fate, like it is prescribed, pre-prescribed for us. It is dependent on our choices, but God has a common will and a common plan and desire for us. And the first part of that plan is that it's for you and I to become his child. That's step one. That's the first thing God wants for you. Now, some of you have already taken that step, and some of you who are watching, you haven't taken that step yet. You're still thinking about it, kicking it around, trying to figure out what it all means. But the first desire that God has for you, the first part of his plan for you, is to become his child. And the reason, for those of you that haven't made that choice yet, the reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet may be because he's waiting for you to make that choice. And he knows when you will, when and if you will. All right? Uh, Peter was talking about this, 2 Peter chapter 3. There was some concern. There were people that were kind of criticizing Christians and saying, well, okay, Jesus said he was going to return. Well, where is he? <laughs> so he, he might, maybe, he's, maybe he's lazy or maybe he's slack or maybe he's not going to keep his promise to return. And Peter addresses it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That promise is the return of Jesus. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us or patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's desire that all people would come to repentance. Now, not all people will <laughs> because people make choices, but it is his desire for all people to make that choice. And that's only made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, paying for the sins of all of humanity on the cross and rising again on the third day. He took our place. He took your place and he took my place. And the first step in following God's plan for our life is to believe that, to believe that you've sinned and that you need a savior and that Jesus is it. So that is step number one. He wants us to receive him and any of us can by choice. The second part of his plan, after we've made the decision to believe in Jesus and become his child, the second part of his plan is for you and I to become like his son. Step one is to accept his son. Step two is to become like his son. We've already talked about this concept in this series when we talked about um, uh, everything happens for a reason. 
And that was the one, that was the message we did. Everything happens for a reason. And we looked at Romans 8, 28. I want to look back at that for a second through this lens. In Romans 8, 28, and then we're going to read 29. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, if you watch that message, if you didn't, I would encourage you to, but if you, if you watch that message, now you remember what we said was our good is our discipleship. It's growing to become like Jesus. It's not that things will be peaceful or comfortable or, or, you know, wealthy or anything like that, that our good, God is working all things so that we can grow. And that means whether you're in Jerusalem or in Babylon. He's using all of those things. And then he says, verse 29, this is where a real real key is for me. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For Now, this verse can be easily misunderstood on its own because he uses what is kind of a catch word, the predestination or predestined. But you look at, look at the, the context that he says this in. For whom he foreknew. Whom he foreknew. This is a, had knowledge of beforehand, is what that word actually means. You break down the original language. Had knowledge of beforehand. What that means is that although my decision to follow Christ is my decision because I have free will. God knew before the formation of the earth that I would make that choice. And so he, I am someone he foreknew. You, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, are someone that he foreknew. So he's not, I mean, this isn't chess pieces where he's moving us around and forcing us to do this or that. We're making our own choices, but he already knows the choices that we're going to make. Whether it's the choice to, to follow Christ or not, whether it's the choice to go to Grove City College or, or Florida State, whether it's the choice to, to, uh, to travel for a year or to begin a job as an electrician, whatever the job is or whatever the, whatever the, the decision is, he already knows I'm going to make it. And those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means that for those of us that he knows are going to choose him, then he knows all the choices we're going to make in life and has put and planned out all of these different moments. And and I think of them as like way stations or opportunities. And all of these things are designed to help me be conformed into the image of his son. And those things might be super, super high points and they might be super, super low points. But they're all good because they are all designed to conform me into the image of his son. He has a plan. And he has a plan to do that with you, and he has a plan to do that with me. We have that in common. Now, one thing I think is is really interesting is the correlation when you think of um, the Israelites who are in Babylon going back to Jerusalem and God fulfilling the promise that he's made to them. Well, for us, we find ourselves in our own Babylon, this world full of sinful people and lots of competing ideas. And we have to do all the same things that God told Israel they needed to do when they were were in Babylon. And we think often, well, I just need to, he's going to take me back to Jerusalem, which means giving me my dream job or (laughs) moving into my dream neighborhood or or having enough in my retirement account or whatever it is. But, But for us, going back to Jerusalem, the promise that he's made for us is not, doesn't exist here in this world. 
The promise that God has made to us is that he will be with us here in this world and that we have the spirit within us. But the going back to Jerusalem for us is the coming of the kingdom of Jesus to earth when things will be set right, if we're going to correlate that. And so that's what we're looking forward to. That's the day when, uh, when everything is the way that we would want it to be now. And God in his infinite unimaginable wisdom is working all of these things together somehow not only in my life I mean it's mind-boggling all of the moving pieces and every decision that I make every day the decision on which shirt to wear or what shoes to put on or all of these things you know the butterfly flaps its wings across the other side of the world and it changes the winds and wherever you know that's an old saying I think that's a very that's not a saying it's not a saying it's like a book it's a very long saying. Yeah, it's called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect. You know, so what socks I put on changes the stock price in, you know, Uganda. I don't know. The point is, the point is for God to be able to manage all of the details of my life. And at the same time, to be able to manage all of the details of your life and everyone else in the world. Oh, and everybody else who's ever lived in the world. It's not possible for me to even begin, begin to understand or, or to question. I'm actually, I'm working, I'm in the middle of a project at the house right now. I do projects all the time. Many of you know that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm putting in a new front door. Our old front door was a, a single door and it was a, we don't have any real light coming in the front of the house, so we wanted to put in a glass door, and then that became a glass door with two side lights, which then meant opening up the opening for the door, and we have a brick veneer on our house, so that meant pulling out brick and reframing and blah, 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 blah. And so I decided I'm just going to do this on my own, which probably wasn't smart, but uh, nevertheless, the door is in and went in yesterday, but all like all the time, the, the, the details of that are running through my head. Oh, I have to, okay, so i got to take the brick out first, but oh, i got to do the electrical because there's lights and the lights need to be moved and so I need to pull the electrical. So, But when I do that, and I also have to frame, but before I can actually take out the old framing, I need to build a temporary wall to support the joist and then I can take out the... And I'm running through all these things and which do I have to do first and which do I have to do second? And it's it's completely melted my brain just to think about this one project with a door and to think about the capacity that God has to understand everything that's happening in my life, everything that's happening in your life, everything that's happening in everybody's life who ever lived so that he could work all of that and engineer the whole thing so that we could be conformed into the image of his son. Not only is it humbling, and I should not question what he wants to do in my life, but it is, it is awe-inspiring and it proves to me just how much he loves me that he would care enough about me to be planning all of that out and working out all of those pieces so that I could become like his son, so that I could experience eternal life now. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Now, experiencing that life for you and for me, however, is dependent on our willingness to walk in what he says to walk in. The instructions that he gave to Israel, they needed to do those things. And he knew that they would come to that point. But they had to make the choices along the way. They had, they had, to, they had to decide that a night in the lion's den was better than turning their back on God and praying to a false god. 
They had to decide that getting thrown into a fiery furnace was a better option than bowing down to a false god. And those aren't easy decisions to make. And so if we want to experience that kind of life, we want to see God's plan unfold in our life and get to see it, witness it, experience it, and appreciate it, we often have to be willing to make very, very difficult decisions and to change things about the way that we think and everything so that we can get on with that plan. So God has a common plan for our lives. He wants to do that for you and he wants to do that for me. But the second piece of this is that God has a specific plan for your life. He has plans for you that are individual to you, custom designed for you. Take Jeremiah as an example. He's the one who wrote, right? He's the one who wrote Jeremiah 29, 11 and wrote it down. At the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1 It says, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So God told Jeremiah, I've had a specific plan for you before you even were. Then said I, Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm just a young guy. Moses, Moses, uh, if you remember back, um, Moses made a very similar objection. He's like, God, I don't talk good. (laughs) God was like, fine, your brother does. So we'll just stick him with you. So then Moses was stuck with his brother all the time. But um, he says, Lord, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. Who am I? But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. It's one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So God had a very specific plan for Jeremiah, and even though Jeremiah was scared of what that might mean or, or didn't feel qualified to do it, God looked back at him and said, don't worry, I am with you. And frankly, you don't have to go, you're not talking to them right now. This is, you know, we're going to work this, we're going to work and walk this thing out. God's plan for you, he intends to walk with you and walk the thing out. You just have to be faithful and say, be willing and say, okay, what you want me to do, I will do. Now, we don't have priests, prophets, and kings like they did in the Old Testament, the way that Jeremiah was ordained to be a prophet. Jesus is our priest, prophet, and king. Um, But nevertheless, God has individual plans for our lives. Paul puts it this way when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's talking about their salvation and that it doesn't come from their works, but it's only by the grace of God. And he wants them to know that not only uh, does the grace of God is, is the reason they can be saved, but the grace of God is what will carry them as they go. Verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved... Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation does not come by our work or our effort or anything that we do. It's only by what Jesus did, and we put our faith in him. So we can't boast and say that we earned it and someone else didn't, and we're deserving of it and someone else isn't. No, we are all saved the same way, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says, very importantly, right after it in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, 
He knit us together. As, as David said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. As he told Jeremiah, before you were, I knew you before. Right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has a plan for you for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a plan for your life that he has already seen and already sees how it lays out. He knows where you're going to be. He knows where you're going to end up. But what we have to do is believe that that's true and then walk faithfully with him at every step along the way. And even when we don't, he knows that we won't. And he has grace for us. He's not surprised by anything. But if at every step and every decision along the way, we ask the question, God, what will bring you the most honor and what will bring you the most glory? What is the good that you want me to do here? What is it that you prepared beforehand? We ask those questions and then we confidently take steps. We, can, we will find that we become the most like Christ and accomplish the most we can for him. God is engineering your life, knowing your choices, designing your gifts and your personality very specifically, and then presenting you with opportunities to serve him. And Jeremiah had the option of saying, I won't go. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm too young. Moses had the opportunity of saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like I can communicate well enough. And who am I? And I killed a guy. And so I'm not even qualified to do this. Paul could have said, God, I won't go. You blinded me. I know that you saved me, but I'm scared to death because if, because if I go, I could get hurt. I could get bitten by a snake or I could, I could end up in, a, I could end up in a, a shipwreck or I could get beaten. But he said yes. And because he said yes, he got to be conformed into the image of Christ at a greater level. He got, he got the opportunity to influence us even today. And there is great reward for, uh, for Paul in the kingdom of Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness. And even though God knew all those things and laid all those opportunities in front of him, knowing what he would do. It's not as if God has a linear path laid out for you and if you take one step off, you're outside of God's will. All of us would be off that path. Now, God already knows the path that you're going to walk. And he's prepared the good work for you to do along the way. Work that will bring him honor and glory. And it may not look the way you want. What I found in life is that when you think you're moving from A to B, you're actually moving from A to D. And God needs to take you from A to B and then from B to C and then from B and from C to D to get you where he ultimately wants you. And usually there's an E and an F after it that you never even saw. I was reading this week, um, uh, one of the resources that I use, I've shared this with you several times before, actually in the first week of the series, I think. Um, but uh, there's a website called gotquestions.org. And when I'm doing messages, I'll often go there and it gives me some scriptures to, to research and some ideas to take in and I find it fairly trustworthy. And so I was reading there this week about this idea of God having a plan and they gave an example in there that I thought was excellent uh, for us to think through and what it means for you and me in our life. And so I'm not just going to read it to you because I feel like they did it better than, than I would. This is what it says. God's plan for us is revealed a little at a time as we follow him. 
and his plan may look different in different seasons of life. A young woman may ask God to direct her in his plan and believes college is part of that plan. But halfway through college, she falls ill and must spend the next two years in a convalescent home. Is she now out of God's plan? Not if her heart is set to obey him. In that convalescent home, she meets a young man who becomes her husband. They both love the Lord and desire to serve him and believe that his plan for them is the mission field. They begin preparation, but halfway through the training, she becomes pregnant with a high-risk pregnancy. Did they miss God's plan? Has God abandoned them? Not at all. Because of their experience caring for a child with special needs, they're able to minister to other families with similar needs. Their mission field looks much different from the one they had envisioned, but it's still God's plan for them. They are able to look back and see his hand in every turn along the way. God's plan is rarely a straight shot to a visible goal. I found that very encouraging as I was reading it. To know that God does have a plan for me, even though it may not look the way that I think it looks. Even though it often may not look the way that I want it to look. Because I would prefer to be comfortable. And I would prefer to be influential. And I would prefer to be, I was going to say a professional YouTuber, but I don't think I want to do that. But God's plan often looks very different. And so, what does this mean for us? I just want to give a few things as we think about a takeaway. God has a plan for you. It's true. So what do we need to consider, though, as we think about that plan? One, we need to trust that God is working in all things to accomplish that plan. Whether those things appear good or whether those things appear bad. As Paul tells us in Romans 8, all those things can be good if they are working towards our discipleship. Which, of course, means that when we are in the middle of those situations, we need to recognize that even the hard things are a part of God's plan, and I need to look for how he wants to make me more like his son in it, not just ask him to get me out of it. So, we can trust that God is working in all things to accomplish his plan. Second, we need to be committed to becoming like Christ and doing his work. I need to look at, again, good things and bad things. I need to learn to look at them as opportunities for ministry. Not only for me to be conformed into the image of his son, but for other people to be conformed into the image of his son. He prepared things beforehand that I should walk in them. And I need to walk in them. Third thing, we shouldn't overanalyze decisions and paralyze ourselves. Because God's plan is... (laughs) Jess just said louder for the people in the back. We shouldn't overanalyze decisions and become paralyzed in their face. Here's the thing. I told you earlier about my choosing a college. You know, I had the the four schools on the list. And uh, I'm glad I ended up going to Grove City College, by the way, because I ended up uh, meeting a pretty pretty great lady there. Uh, Talking about you. She's surprised. Uh, But here's the thing. Here's what I believe. God knew that I would choose Grove City College, right? But I could have made any choice, and I would not have been outside of the will of God. Even if I had chosen to go to Florida State University because of the attractiveness of the women, I don't even know how you measure that. Supposedly, I might have just thought that because, I don't know. Anyway, Florida. Anyway, if, if I had made that choice, 
God already knew I would have made that choice. And God would have, would have orchestrated everything so that I could learn to bring him glory even in, in that environment instead of the environment I went to. God, he, he might have even known that Jess was going to make the same choice and go to Florida State because they, they heard that I was coming. And so, <laughs> no, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, you, it's, it doesn't do us well to say what if, what if, what if. But here's what I believe. When faced with that decision, I could have made any decision. God would have already known that and already would have worked things out in accordance with that. So we shouldn't get so paralyzed when we face up with decisions. Should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I? We can think through all the logistics for our family and all that kind of stuff. But as far as God is concerned, just ask the question, which one do I think will help me bring the most glory and honor to God? And no matter what I choose, we can trust that he is going to take that choice and work with it in our life to accomplish the plan that he has for us. So don't overanalyze decisions when it comes to that. Am I going to be in God's will or out of God's will with this decision? Make the choice that you think is going to be honoring to God, and you can't go wrong. And then fourth, and this is just just kind of cover the whole base here. We should have confidence knowing that God does have a plan for our life. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. I don't have to be afraid of five years from now. I don't have to be afraid of 10 years from now. I can know that at every step along the way, God is with me and he's working all of this together and he has plans for me and that he wants to grow me into the image of his son and all of that is good. And even in the midst of all that, even as, as bad as it may feel at times, I know that ultimately Jesus Christ is returning here to set things right, and I'm going to be a part of that kingdom. And so I'm going back to Jerusalem one day, ready for that any day now. Now, now would be fine. Now would work. Now would work. Later this afternoon would be great. Yeah. Or you know what? 20, 30 years from now, 1,000 years from now, God is patiently waiting for all those that he knows are going to accept him. And so we can trust in that as we walk. That should give us a lot of confidence as believers. And I love the way that Paul writes this when he's writing to the Philippian church. His confidence, not only in his own ministry and what God is doing with him and all the trouble he did face, but them. And the, the book of Philippians really is written to them in the context of their difficulty, stress and trial and trouble. That's where the verses, uh, famous verses about anxiety and all of that are found in Philippians. But he, he opens it up this way to them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And they're going through tremendous difficulty. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So he knows no matter what difficulty he faces, as he pursues his ministry and God's plan for his life. That as they pursue God's plan for their life and what he wants from them, that they are both receiving the same grace from God, God's presence in us through his spirit, his direction and leading, so that no matter what 
we come face to face with, don't be afraid of their faces. All right? It's what God said to Jeremiah. Don't be afraid of their faces because God is with us. He has a plan and we want to walk faithfully with him. So I hope you find that as encouraging as I do. And for those of you that are entering a transition season in life, whether you're graduates or whether there's something else going on in your life, know that God wants to use it, whatever it is you do, whatever it is you choose. God wants to use it to draw you closer and closer to him and to use you more and more effectively in the good work that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love and your grace that not only you save us, but that you walk with us. And so if there's anybody who needs to take the first step of salvation today, God, I pray that you would move in their heart to believe in your son, to believe in Jesus for salvation. And that God, those of us who have believed in him and are your children and are saved, we want to be conformed into the image of your son. And we know that you're doing that with all of us. We also know you're doing that with all of us in different ways and in, through our own personalities and experiences and opportunities. And to, God, think about how you're forming all of that together and, and making all of those parts move and doing what you do, how you do it, so that we can walk a path where you're with us and where we're being uh, discipled and growing to become like Christ. That's hard. For, we can't possibly understand it. But we don't have to understand it. All we have to do is walk in it. So give us the confidence to walk in it, to make decisions and to live our lives in a way that we believe is honoring to you, to see the opportunities that you place in front of us, to embrace the ministries that you've given us in our life and to confidently step forward into them knowing that you're with us every step of the way. You're not surprised by any decision we make and that you are going to use wherever we find ourselves whether that's the mountaintop and things feel like they're going really great or whether it's the valley and we feel like things are collapsing, you're using all of that to conform us into the image of your son and we're thankful. And I say for myself and I hope everyone who's participating in this today says the same thing, we submit to that. We want to follow you. We want to be faithful to you. So encourage us and give us strength as we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.